All right, turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 3 this morning. If you're using one of the blue chair Bibles, it's on page 987. How do you make a plant grow? How, how would you answer that question? You might talk about the importance of watering, regular watering of the plant, maybe putting some fertilizer down, the importance of the never-ending task of weeding. I've made some of you sore just mentioning it. And making sure that you've planted the plant in a good soil with appropriate sunlight and shade. We've all done at least some of these things, some of us better than others. But when you think about it, and that's a normal way to talk about gardening, when you really think about it, it's really the wrong question. Because no matter, ultimately, no matter what you do, you can't make a plant grow. You don't have the power to do that. You can create a nice environment for that plant conducive to growth, but you are ultimately not making that plant grow. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul uses this truth to help the Corinthian believers understand how they should view the church and the leaders and teachers of the church. So in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So to use that analogy, just like the gardener, Paul and Apollos did their work of teaching and leading the people, but it was God who brought about growth and transformation. No matter how great a teacher, no matter how great a leader, and Paul and Apollos were those, they could not make anyone else grow. God is the only one who can cause growth. It is God who transforms us. It is God who grows us in maturity. And it's this idea that will help us understand our text in 1 Thessalonians this morning. In a prayer offered to God on behalf of the Thessalonians, Paul teaches them and us about God's sovereign activity in our lives. All of the verbs that we're going to see in our text today are what God does. And so as we look at this text today, we'll grow in our understanding of how God is currently at work in each of our lives. And then as we make application to what we do, it's really in response to what God is already doing. So our big idea... I've taken from our scripture reading this morning, and I apologize, I believe there was a typo in the bulletin. It, it, I made this mistake. It should be 12 and 13, not 13 and 14. But our big idea this morning comes from Philippians chapter 2. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we look at our text, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 
We're going to be beginning in verse 11. And as we do that, I want to remind you of the immediate context of these verses. As we looked at last week, Paul described how he'd sent Timothy to help the Thessalonians. And at the end of talking about Timothy's good report from the Thessalonians, Paul talks about needing to return to Thessalonica himself, and when he returns, he can supply what is lacking in their faith. And so that's the immediate context here of Paul's plan to come back and to supply what is lacking, and how is he going to do that? And the short answer, he can only do that because God is at work in the lives of the Thessalonians. So let's look at his prayer beginning in verse 11 here. If you're following along using the outline provided in your bulletin, you're going to see point number one, may the Lord direct our ways. Let's look at chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. Paul begins his prayer, again, thinking about what has happened. He had to leave earlier than he wanted to from Thessalonica, and he hadn't been able to go back. We saw that last week, that, that Paul said he was hindered by Satan himself, and he desired to go back, and again, for the purpose of supplying what is lacking in their faith. But for such a trip and ministry to happen, Paul knows he must rely on God for it to happen. Paul demonstrates a great dependence on God for the fulfillment of his plans. There's a recognition by Paul of the sovereignty of God in his plans and in the details of his traveling. For his plans, for his desires to succeed, God must be at work. There's a humbling here of coming, of the plans that Paul is making and wants to make coming under the plans of God himself. Again, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. He is not getting back unless God is directing him and leading him. This reminds us of the book of James This is from chapter 4 of James, verses 13 to 15. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Also, Proverbs 16.9 says this, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. You can make all the plans you want, but God is the one at work. God is the one directing. And and throughout this passage, as we make application to our lives, there's sort of going to be two sides of the same coin. And so the first is, as we look at this text of of this prayer for God to direct our ways, there's a comfort, there's an assurance that God is directing your ways. 
God is sovereign in your life. God is leading and directing you. Again, there is a security that we have that we are not just randomly walking this world, but our sovereign God is directing our steps. But then the other side of the coin is that means we must humbly submit to his leading and his guiding. There is a responsibility for us to respond appropriately to the sovereign activity of God. And we can rest in the fact that he is guiding and leading us. But that means there is a posture of humility towards the fact that we are not in charge. You are not ultimately in charge of what you do. And we must submit every day, every decision, to the sovereign direction of God. So the first provides comfort and security, and the second challenges us to humbly follow God's leading. Let's look at the next petition in verse 12. Again, if you're using the outline there, may the Lord increase our love. Look at verse 12. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. A couple of things as we look at what Paul is saying here. Paul is praying that their love for others... Now, if you look in verse 12 here, there's two groups. The first is love for one another. And in the context here, and normally when you see the term one another in Scripture, that's referring to fellow believers. Okay, so he first calls for a love between believers in Jesus Christ. And then you have the second group there, and for all. Again, referring to those in our communities, in our neighborhoods, at our works, those who do not belong to Christ. But notice that we are not the active agents here. It says, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. Again, the emphasis is on what God is doing in your life. But, but as we think through that, I, I want you also to notice that this church has already been praised for its love. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 3, Paul is thanking God for them, and one of the things that he thanks God for is their labor of love. So why would he pray for God to make these people more loving when they were already celebrated for how loving they were. First of all, we need to see that there is no upper limit. There is no arrival for the love that we are to have for one another and for our neighbors. Love here acts as a big category for how we live out our lives, both in word and in action. 
And this call for God to increase the love of a loving people demonstrates to us that we are never done pursuing a growth in love. The fact that Paul wants them to increase in what they are already doing demonstrates to us that the Christian life is a lifelong pursuit. You never will arrive, nor should you feel like you have arrived. There is a recognition that God must be working on me daily. That God must be transforming and changing me daily. And I think there's a misnomer. We see somebody that we think is very mature in the faith, and they are. But, you know, we think then, we think, well, I could never be him, or I could never be her. And we monumentalize people. And what it causes us to do is to stop trying or discourages us. Everyone you know is on a daily walk of transformation with Jesus. The prayer for all of us, even people known for being loving, is that God would make them increase and abound. That repetition there, not just increase, increase and abound. The idea is of an overflowing abundance of love and service. Paul prays for the Thessalonians, and we apply to ourselves of a need for God to grow us in our love for each other and our love for neighbor. So how should we understand this in our lives today? Number one, God is at work in you, growing you in your capacity to love others. This helps us to understand that the Christian life is more than just do better. The Christian life is not just pulling yourself up by your spiritual bootstraps. The spiritual life is more than just trying harder. What this verse tells us is that sovereign God is at work in your life changing you. That is not related to your effort. But again, we see the flip side of that. We see the other side of the coin. If I know God is at work in me to make me more loving, then what is my responsibility? To humbly submit. To grow in that love. To grow in that service. God is sovereignly giving you opportunities to love and serve others. What is your responsibility? Do those things. And why can you do them? Because he is at work in you. Again, there is both comfort 
and challenge. The sovereignty of God does not make us into robots. We need to understand the sovereignty of God actually enables and makes it possible for us to grow in obedience and service and love. If it's just about trying hard, you're probably going to give up. But if you know God is at work in you, there's hope that you can actually do it. Because again, it is God increasing your love for one another. God is doing it, and he never gets tired. Let's go to the third petition here. May the Lord present us blameless. Look at verse 13. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. The third petition of Paul's prayer speaks to the purpose of God's work in our lives. Paul prays that God would establish your hearts blameless and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Now beginning at the end of that petition, I want to see the context of God's work in this particular verse. Why is he establishing our hearts blameless and holiness? Because one day we will stand before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus. At the end of history, when Christ returns, we will stand before God and we will stand before Jesus as judge and king. The picture of power of Jesus is amplified with that phrase, with all his saints. The picture is of Jesus leading an army of his people. It's a picture of might. It's a picture of justice. The context of God's work in our lives is what John recorded in the book of Revelation. Let me read to you from Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. We know that all people will one day stand before God as judge when Christ returns. Now, if you are going to stand before the God of the universe in judgment, what is the one thing you want? Innocence. To use the language of this verse, if you want to, if you are, if you know you are going to stand before the Almighty God, 
holy God of the universe, the one thing you will want to be seen as is blameless in holiness. Because if you are not, the perfectly holy, righteous God of the universe will find you guilty. And that is a place you do not want to be. So, how does God make us blameless in holiness? Because again, look at verse 13. That he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. Again, the verbs do not belong to us. God is the one presenting us to himself blameless in holiness. So how does God make us blameless in holiness? Number one, the first way he does this is we are made holy through faith in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. Colossians chapter 1 verse 22, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That is the good news of the death of Jesus Christ, that through faith in him and his death and resurrection, sinners are made holy and blameless. And when you place your faith in Christ, you are made holy. Again, the verb is not yours. It is God making you holy. But as we see in verse 13, that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness, we recognize another aspect of the holiness as taught in Scripture. That we are made holy through faith in Christ, a declaration of holiness by God. But this begins a lifelong pursuit of holiness. It is God progressively working in making us more and more holy each day. I love the phrase that Paul uses in the book of Romans where we are conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus. That is the other way that God establishes us blameless in holiness. That every day God is at work to make you more holy. And again, it's not simply try harder to be more holy every day. That's not what the verse says. But God in his sovereign power is molding you. He's forming you. He's conforming you to grow in holiness and blamelessness. So again, back to our pattern of application. How do we respond to the sovereign work of God growing us in holiness? Number one, there is comfort and security and stability in the knowledge that God is at work in you. God is shaping your life. He's transforming your soul. 
He is moving you through times of hardship, all of these things, to make you more like Jesus, to grow you in holiness. Again, the story of the Bible is not just try harder. The story of our growth is that God is growing us every single day. Again, flipping the coin over. How do I respond to the sovereign work of God? God's sovereign work of making us holy actually enables us to pursue that holiness. When I know God is at work in me, that is when I can live a life of growing holiness. That I pursue to be more like Jesus because one day I will stand before him in judgment. And so we see the response is humble yet energetic obedience. A pursuit of holiness that is enabled by the sovereign work of God. So as God is at work in you, pursue holiness and a blameless life as one who will stand before God to give an account. Let's close with a couple points of application and review this morning. Number one, and and I point this every time we have a prayer in the Bible, with encouragement to pray like Paul. To take these prayers and apply them to your own prayer life. That as you see how Paul prays, that you would bring that into your own prayer life. We've talked about this before, of of sometimes if, if someone isn't sick, we don't know how to pray for them. And of course we should pray for those who are sick. But one of the ways that God changes us is he helps us to grow in how we pray and expands our prayer lives. And this is one of these places. Pray for God to direct your steps. Pray for God to direct the steps of those you're praying for. Praying for God to increase your love and service. Praying for others that their love may be increased. Praying that God would every day conform you to the holy image of his son. No matter what's going on, you can pray that for yourself and others. Number two, work hard at your faith because God is at work in you. Going back to Philippians chapter 2, which we're using for our big idea this morning. I'm guessing most of you remembered the first part. It's probably the well, well-known, more well-known verse here. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. But we forget verse 13. And that we're able to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because God is at work in us. And so daily, 
We submit to that sovereign work of God, and we pursue holiness, we pursue obedience, we pursue love. Why? Because God is at work in us. We can actually do those things, not based on our effort, because if it was based on our effort, it would fail, but because God is sovereignly at work in you, you actually can grow. You can change. Because God is at work. Your life is not a hamster wheel. Your life is a pursuit of Jesus and his holiness. And again, related to that, number three, rest in the knowledge that God is at work in you. The Christian life is more than just trying super hard. The Christian life is more than pulling yourself up by your spiritual bootstraps. God is at work in your life. He is directing you. He is causing you to love more. He is making you, he is making you more blameless and holy. Our God is an active God. He is transforming you by his sovereign power. So we plant and we water but it is God who gives the growth. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and that Paul's prayer would be our prayer this morning, that you would direct our paths, that you would cause our love to increase and abound, and that you would establish our hearts blameless in holiness as we look forward to your return. God, that we would work out our salvation in fear and trembling, knowing that you are at work in us both to will and to work your good pleasure. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.